This podcast is sponsored by Xgrowth. Xgrowth is the APAC ABM agency. If you and your organization are looking to land and expand enterprise mid-market deals, Xgrowth is the agency to help. Xgrowth works with a wide range of international and global technology vendors, service providers, and B2B SaaS companies. If this sounds like some of your interests to know more about, make sure to check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC ABM agency. What's up, marketers, and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony Podcast. I'm Liza from Xgrowth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about how you can achieve those everyday wins in the marketing world. On today's episode, our host, Shaheen Hoda, chats with Jenna Pipchuk, current Chief Sales Officer at 3P Learning and former CSO of Smart Technologies, to discuss sales and marketing alignment. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show. This is not just any conversation about alignment. Jenna has taken alignment to the next level through an approach called Unified Commercial Engine. It's fascinating. And if you are in the B2B space, you need to hear this. So make sure you put down what you're doing and let's dive in. Jenna, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. I love talking about sales and marketing and where we're going next. I I, love, I mean, we've had a couple of conversations beforehand and I've been looking forward to this chat because I feel like sales and marketing alignment is this, this very ambiguous term that people use. Then you ask them, hey, what do you do for sales and marketing alignment? And they're like, oh, you know, we like do presentations to sales and we make sure that we take them along on the journey. You're like, what does that mean? What are you talking about? And I, I love your structured approach to this alignment and kind of getting rid of the, the, the fluff, right? And you talk about unified commercial engine. Can you unpack that a little bit? Can you expand on what that is? Sure, sure. The unified commercial engine is really looking at sales in a broader span. In other words, we don't really differentiate between what marketing and what sales traditionally do and customer success and kind of after the purchase. So through the whole customer journey, if you take every point in that customer journey with whatever journey you use and consider that to be the commercial process, and align your entire team to say, no, no, we are one team through the commercial process. How do we serve the customer? That that really is, in essence, what the unified commercial engine is. It's taking the entire customer journey, saying we're one team. How do we serve that journey? And, and that's a, a radical approach to, say, traditional sales and marketing kind of uh, departmental thinking. I mean, the, the, the key term they use over there is one team. Can you unpack that? What, is it, what does that mean? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it means a lot. So I'm going to talk about what we did at SMART, and then I'll try and talk about what, what other organizations can do, because not everybody is going to kind of, you know, pick up the, the, the jar and shake it all up and, and redo it. So at, at SMART, we, we completely redefined our teams. We took everybody that was in sales and marketing, customer success and customer uh, support, and we completely realigned how we work. So one team, we broke it into a customer journey where the customers learn, they buy, they adopt, and then they get support. 
And then, you know, that's an infinity loop that just continues. And so we just said, well, who, whose job is it to help the customer learn? And that came from all of our traditional departments. Whose job is it to help the customers purchase? You know, whose job is it that? And so we we realigned the the kind of functions that the customers need across the way. But but the um, the best thing about our design that I think we little kind of lucked into a little bit is the concept of team. Then what we did is we we took those customer journeys and we segmented them. Most of our segments were geographic. Some are segmented by vertical and some might be segmented just by a specific type of customer. So how you segment into what we call the pods and lots of people have sales pods, uh, it can be different. But the concept is whatever set of customers you're serving, that is the team. That is the full team. And you look at the entire commercial process for that team. So you have maybe a demand gen manager, maybe your inside sales, maybe some field sales, maybe some channel people, customer success agent, customer support line. All of those are grouped together in one team serving a specific set of customers. Very, very different concept from, oh, I'm on the demand gen team and I work with demand gen marketers. Interesting. Interesting. So you would have a geography, let's say, for example, California as a geography or a vertical like a a pharmaceutical or banking. That's right. And that has its own sales marketing. It's like a mini company. That's right. For acquisition and and retention of of, of those customers. Is that right? Yeah, 100%. We call them pods and we have a pod leader. And exactly what you said, we view the pod leader as the mini CEO. So again, go back to that broad commercial process, the entire customer journey, the team servicing that broad customer journey, that's your everyday team. Now we still have traditional hierarchical, all the demand gen managers report directly into a demand gen manager, but that is not, they don't consider that their team. That's not who they meet with every day. That the reason we have that kind of vertical, you know, matrix organization, if you will, and that's just so they can get role specific information and that we can keep things pretty similar. Because as you get more and more pods, what happens is you can get 19 variations of almost the same thing, right? And so by keeping mm-hmm. that kind of matrix organization, the the manager of the demand gen people, their job is to make sure the skills are there and to make sure they're sharing the different things that are happening in different pods but they don't manage their team as if it's a team of demand gen people. They manage it as, oh, I have a whole bunch of people who work in a bunch of different teams. And my job is to help them with their specific part of role. And, and, and I'd, it was by design, but the, the, the um, hindsight is that is actually the magic. The magic is once you have a single set of customers that the broader commercial process is um, working towards, what happens is um, the visibility and the purpose is unbelievable because now the demand gen person is not just getting leads. They understand that, oh, I'm working with this person and this set of customers and I can see how my leads follow through and I can share in the wins and I can share in the losses and I can get creative about how we work as a team to better serve those customers. And so their their visibility and their purpose of their work uh, was one of the, you know, the best things we kind of stumbled across. Right. So like a pod would like people in a pod would look something look like something in the lines of there will be an AE, there would be like a BDR and SDR, but there will also be demand gen field marketers. Yep. Uh, is that is that is that correct? That's exactly correct. Will be part of that. 
That's exactly correct. And that there'll be a, sometimes a, a, a channel account manager, maybe some inside channel people. And the amount of those people can vary based off of what that pod needs. So if it's a very large geographic pod, say maybe Northeast uh, USA, maybe we have tons and tons of customers there. So I might have a pod of 20, whereas maybe I have a smaller section in, like you said, California, uh, maybe that's a pod of five. But the, but the identity, the scope of work, the different skill sets that are being brought to it, uh, those are the same. And how does the, how would you, like allocate resources because then you know like in traditional organization you have the sales budget you got the marketing budget marketing has the demand demand yep. gen budget it has like how do, so how does that whole yeah budgeting process work oh i'm gonna blow your mind here we have a singular budget <laughs> and and even with two heads so i worked with with my cohort uh, the cmo and of course on our opex lines have different numbers but when we do budgeting we actually do budgeting all together so all of the traditional marketing leaders, all of the traditional sales leaders, we go in and we have, we've made kind of, uh, we spilled our Excel spreadsheet into like a poker chip game board. And everywhere we spend money has a, a you know, if you think of a craps table, a square on the craps table. And what we do is we just hand out the poker chips as they exist. And we say, well, here's where I'm spending money. Where are you spending money? Where do we need to spend money to get our goals for next year? Okay, then we do scenario planning. If we had 5 million more, where would we put it? Okay, if we had 2 million less, where would we put it? Where would we take it from? And so we run those scenarios as a full UCE group. And so the clarity that that provides and also the ability for us to move forward is quite good. But I will tell you, when we first did it, there was a ton of fear. There was a ton of fear of, you know, traditional marketing people saying, well, the salespeople are just going to put it on events. You know, those guys, they just want to run events. And the events people was like, well, <laughs> those marketing people, they're just going to want to put it in digital. I'm really nervous. I don't want them to see that sort of stuff. But we, we ran it and uh, it, it the clarity it provides on our financial budget, the ability to see things and also the relief because it, it, again, it gelled us. We started to see that when you look at the broader commercial process, you're all trying to do the same thing. And it gets you out of the kind of departmental sales versus marketing as if you have a finite amount of resources to a, a team of how are we going to get more customers and how do we leverage what we're doing to get those customers? Does it happen? Uh, well, actually, let me ask this first. Would then each pod have their own budget? So once you have that unified budget across sales and marketing, would you then divide that budget across different pods and 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 you say, hey, this pod would have this budget, and is that how it would work, or you divide it differently? Uh, I think we divide it more traditionally. So there's budgets in different areas of what we're going to spend on things, and then they get an allocated portion, like an estimate of what out of X budget that pod would get. But the um, mm. leaders of each kind of segment would have the freedom to adjust. You know, maybe some of our, you know, maybe some of our bigger areas don't need quite their full allocation because they're more effective, more efficient because they have more more people. Um, whereas other areas that we're trying to grow might need more resources as a percentage. So there's that flexibility in there, but there's the transparency that keeps everybody accountable. We also have something um, in marketing where we call the the kind of localization. So we have certain things that we're going to do as a company, certain themes that we agree on, certain messaging that we agree on as a as a company that's a little bit more global. And then we push that to the pods 
to what we call localize. Globalization is, is the fun term that Jeff uh, Lowe coined. And it's about, well, here's, here's the start of everything that you're looking for in messaging. But we know that you might use different words. You might have different heroes. You might have a, a different stress point that works in your region. And so you guys work as a team to take this content we created globally and then fine tune it for your marketing, your messages, your market, your customers. How does it work in situations where, you know, you got you got a vertical pod, mm-hmm. but you know maybe the vertical pod is not too big, and it just has maybe two events a year. Yep. So it doesn't make sense to allocate a full time field marketer to sure. to that pod. Does it happen that there are certain people that would be across multiple different pods? Yeah, there is. There are certain areas, especially when you're getting into the more small or the specific. Maybe we have a couple that are specific to large customers, you know, that they only have two or three big national customers that they work. And so in those instances, we might have a point two or a point three or a point five of a person assigned to that pod. And that really means that that person just ends up working in two or three pods. So then they're a member of three teams instead of one team. And then they split their kind of time and energy between those three. And so, so that works. We don't have too, too many of those. Um, but, but in cases where, like you say, you're trying to do something in a small kind of startup-y way, uh, it, it, it's, it's easy to um, split out the resources as needed. Got it. Got it. Jenna, how did you get to this point? Like what was... What was the problem that you were trying to solve where it kind of led you to to this this point and this type of structure? Yeah, there, there were two kind of main drivers that started us on our journey. The, the, the first was we as a, a corporation had a challenge of siloed nature. And what we mean by that is we had departments that we just couldn't seem to get them to see the bigger picture. It was a lot of, you know, if something went wrong and you would go and talk to the teams, it would be like, well, I did my part amazing. I mean, too bad about those guys. Or, you know, I don't know, like we did all of this and this and this and this. I mean, I don't know why those guys couldn't close it. You know, it was a lot of kind of finger pointing, a lot of kind of, and I think a lot of people out there listening have experienced this or maybe still experience this in in their, in their organizations. It's the siloed nature of work. And what I've learned is that's about the definition of team. And so if your team is too defined in a smaller scope, you're not spreading that scope out. And then you're kind of saying, well, you know, you're not really helping those guys over there. We had tried everything. We had tried the whole, you know, pass the baton, you know, the whole relay race. It's about you do your part, then you pass the baton and they do their part and they pass the baton. We actually had physically shipped around a a stuffed animal and a baton to people to help get this concept. And it, it just wasn't making a difference. So that, that was kind of our, our internal motivation. But the, the biggest motivation was we saw that the buyers were changing. We saw that consumers were getting their information elsewhere. The traditional kind of sales mode of, hey, we bring you the information and help you make the decision. That was going away. And we just felt like as a company, we wanted to be where the market was going. And how were we going to address the more digital buyer? How were we going to really get ourselves set up? Um, to be able to move with where we felt things were going because everybody was talking about putting sales and marketing together. So we started looking around on who could give us an example. And we were sad to find out, you know, two and a half years ago, there was virtually no one. 
There, were, there was nobody that had an example of completely redefining sales and marketing. Uh, nowadays, two and a half years later, we're starting to see books that are written that are about what we do. And we're starting to see more and more organizations go with kind of chief revenue officers and rev operations is coming up. So we're starting to see it move that way. Uh, but 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 that back then we didn't know. So we looked around. We didn't see anything. We um, had talked to a lot of experts, you know, like the Gartners and and others. Uh, and then we found this um, company in the UK that kind of helped us. And they actually brought the term unified commercial engine. They had they had a um, a view of what a commercial engine was, but it was like for an entire organization. And we said, no, no, we just want to focus on sales and marketing. Uh, and once we kind of aligned around the customer journey. Really, all that we did that was different is we did it. We took 263 jobs. We completely realigned them into our categories, which just happened to be around the customer journey we selected. So we have an, a, a learn team, a buy team, an adopt team, and a support team. That, that's actually how they exist in our org and how we talk about them. And then, and, and those are the team. Those are the teams that then have contribution into the pods, right? That's like right. They, they would have multiple con, con, one or multiple contributors in, inside of the pod. That's right. And so, traditional matrix organization, those teams kind of go down vertically, and then horizontally across, you would have each of the pods. And then the really only secret sauce, again, that I think we we didn't plan, we didn't understand how significant it was, is that. The team itself, who they identify with, is that horizontal cross, not who they directly report into. And, and that, that has really become the very secret sauce for us. Let's talk about outcome. I mean, we talked yeah. about the structure of it and what has happened, but what has been the outcome? I mean, it sounds like you started on the journey about two and a half years ago yep. and started doing this, this implementation, really figuring out what, what, what's, what's going to happen. But how did the, what did the outcome look like? How did you how were you measuring the outcome? Love love to hear yeah. a little bit from from that side as well. Yeah, I think we defined uh, the measurements quite early on. A little bit of uh, a metrics per each of our areas. So for each of the kind of learn, adopt, buy, what are the key metrics that we're going to measure? And so getting everybody aligned onto that before we even changed the teams was really good. We put it into our business process. So our monthly business reviews are actually each of the pods reporting on those key metrics so they can embellish and add you know there's other other things we measure but they have to report on the key metrics they have to report on how they're doing on each of them and it did change a little bit i remember in the beginning we had kind of you know early days the kind of traditional marketers saying oh you're giving us targets like sales that's not what we do we're creative and we said no that's we have to have metrics across the board, but you know the, the people who really say that marketing doesn't have metrics don't know marketing. Marketing has a ton of metrics that they measure, and it's just about maybe putting some goals and targets around those metrics to show your success. And so then then we moved some of those over, and and we did have some people that were commission based that we took away the commission and moved to a kind of an annual bonus plan. We did have some people who were on an annual bonus plan that we moved to commission based. So depending on the role they moved into, we adjusted the comp uh, uh, comparatively. And so that's a question I get asked a lot by by people looking to do this. And so, yes, we changed the comp, we changed the job roles, we changed who they report to, and we changed uh, the skill sets that we needed. And so literally we took, we did a, what we called a circles and squares organization, we or um, a circles and squares uh, exercise. We built the org with squares, and then we took all of the people in our circles. We looked at their skill set, their aptitude, their interest, 
and started to place the circles into the squares. And we were left with a few squares that we had to bring new skills into the company and a few circles that were really great people, but weren't going to help us move to to the forward uh, momentum of the company. And we still kind of do that exercise a little bit, but it's much more broad now because we look broader at the whole commercial process. Uh, our career pathing is broader. We now have people that go from you know, inside channel into, you know, what was traditional marketing roles, they might go into social media or PR or certain things. And we might have people who were traditional marketers actually say, wow, this really looks interesting. I'd love to learn more about becoming a BDR. So, so very interesting career paths came out of it. I love it. I love it. And obviously going and becoming a a pod leader and, and, and that's the, uh, the, the vertical move. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, okay, this is, this is interesting. I would, I think we should implement something like this in our organization. What, what is your advice to them? What do you, what do you think they need to kind of keep in mind? Yeah. So we say you don't have to do the whole shakeup like we did to get started. We, we think there's kind of two fundamental things that you need to do, which is align on a customer journey map, whatever one your organization fits, feels fits you best, and then broaden everybody's understanding of that commercial process. If you do nothing else but explain to everybody what your customer journey looks like, how, how they're moving through that, and how the handoffs your company needs to have to help the customer do that, uh, that that's kind of a key process. And then the other one is, is is just look at your teams and ask some simple questions like, who helps the customer learn about X? Who talks to the customer? Who's sending out information out to the customer? And what you'll find is if you ask that across your entire organization, both sales and marketing, you will find that many people do similar things and they're not really coordinating with each other. What we found before is we had multiple groups talking to our customers. They talked to them in different voices and they didn't coordinate when they talked to them. So our customers would maybe get nothing from us for a long period of time. And then they might be bombarded with two or three messages that don't even feel like they're from the same company. And so by by getting to that unified status, we started to talk in the same voice. We started to understand when we're talking to them. We started to get better data around how we were interacting with our customers and so you don't have to do a full reorg to, to be able to just do those pieces. Interesting. Got it. What are some of the, what are some of the mistakes that you made, you and, and the team made on this journey that if you go back, you're like, yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't be doing that. What are some of the things that comes to mind? Yeah, of course, we learned a ton. And uh, one of the biggest ones we talk about is we didn't do enough training on indirect leadership. So our pod leaders, by nature, we say the pod leader can come from any segment of the org. So that same group we're talking about, say it's the Northwest USA, uh, that could be a person from demand gen, it could be a person from channel, it could be a person from end user sales, It like whoever has the most um, seniority and experience to lead, that's who we make our kind of mini CEO of the pod. We didn't inf- um, invest enough in helping them with the indirect leadership that they needed because most of the people that they manage on a day-to-day basis don't directly report to them. And we did find that that's a, a, there's a, a dearth of information, like there's not enough uh, information on how to train indirect leadership and how to do that on a daily basis. So I think that's something that the, the world is trying to catch up on. Uh, but definitely that was one of our biggest things. And then don't underestimate the amount of change management. I think we kind of came into it with eyes wide open on what we were doing, but it does take time and commitment. So, you know, we, we joke that for the first three months, we literally just said, yep, we're doing this. 
yep, we're really doing this. Yeah, we're really going ahead with this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, for the first kind of, you know, two months, we had, you know, regular uh, UCE leader meetings that were a bit cricket-like. And Jeff and I, the, the, the CMO and I, we would literally sit there quiet saying, I'm sure we got problems, guys. Let's start talking. And it, and it, and it took time. So it took probably a full quarter until the change started to really start to get that momentum. And so you need that commitment uh, from the top uh, to, to really help guide the team through and navigate those changes. Now, General, I have some rapid fire questions that I want to ask you. But before okay. we go into the rapid fire question, is there anything else around the unified commercial engine that you think we sh we maybe I didn't ask or we sh it's important for us to touch on? Yeah, I mean, I, I I didn't answer your question very well on the proof points. So here's some some proof points on why we know this works. Is our, our revenue went up uh, in you know 30% year on year. So that's great. But you know, there's lots of things that can contribute to that. But one of the things we're most proud of is our lead acceptance rate doubled. Doubled. We went from low 40s to high 90s in in acceptance wow. rate. And then on top of that, we doubled the number of leads that we were able to get. So can you imagine that's that's a that's a forex component, right? We not only did we double our leads, but the acceptance rate is so much higher. And we don't hear anymore about uh, you know that kind of oh those leads are no good or hey that because the team works on them together that they are just better quality, they're faster you know followed up on. And then like I said, the the kind of purpose driven understanding of the different roles led us to not really change our retention, like our retention rate didn't change in the great resignation, not a single percent. So we were able to retain top talent, we were able to grow, and we actually really exceeded kind of our engagement scores uh, after COVID when most companies kind of uh, fell off. So we went from kind of best in tech to top 10% on any segment in the year kind of from Mercer reporting. So those are things that kind of we use as, you know, really good proof points that say that this kind of structure can really work for your organization. I mean, that is amazing proof. That, that, that's uh, that's just you, you, you blew that blew that out of the park. So uh, I, I love you sharing that. Um, and uh, and it's, it's really a very interesting model that you've implemented. Have you read the State of ABM and APAC report yet? If you have, you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year. Even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment. It's an exciting time for ABM in the region. Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. Okay, let's do some rapid fire questions. All right. First question that I have is what is one resource? It could be a book, a blog, a podcast, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on whether professionally or personally on you. Yeah. Okay, so personally, I'd say the, you know the whole Brené Brown books helped me in my leadership. But the one that I'm I'm most excited about right now is by a gentleman named Stephen Diorio. I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, the book is called Revenue Operations, uh, and it's it's a fairly new book. And I would say when I read it for the first time, I was like, oh my goodness, this is the UCE. And then he expanded on it, so it was uh, a mind opening kind of book. Uh, I highly recommend. Got it. Noted. I just, just took that down as a note. We'll definitely be checking that out. For sure, for Question sure. Question number two is, if you could give 
one advice to B2B sales and marketers, what would that be? It would definitely be don't forget the human element. So in, in everything you kind of, uh, in all the processes you de design and, and how your organization works, I think too many people, you know, eliminate how people react to change, how people process change, how people work together. And if you can keep the human element in mind, uh, that is, uh, in my opinion, the only way you can make processes successful. I love it. Question number three, who are some of the influencers that you follow, Jenna? Uh, definitely uh, Brent Adamson. Uh, if you know him from, uh, he's from Gartner. He did Challenger Sales. I think he does a, a fun little podcast now called Brent's Breakdowns. So yeah, I think uh, he's one of those ones I, I follow and always get good value from. All right. I didn't know he's doing a podcast. Definitely going to check that out. Last question, Jenna, last question is, what is something that excites you about B2B today? Oh, it's about the, the potential. Really, like, like to me, sales is undergoing kind of a, the, a change, you know, a fundamental change in how it's done. And nobody's really cracked the code on it. So the potential of those that can utilize uh, data and AI really help with digital buying in a way that we haven't been able to do and then connect that to B2B, especially through channel. Uh, that's, just, that's just full of potential we haven't yet realized. That definitely sounds very exciting. Jenna, this has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing all the insights related to the unified commercial engine system that you've you've implemented. I've learned a ton. I am sure anyone who's listening to this podcast is going to be in the same position. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Semedo with additional editing by Liza Maywell and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make the show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just keen for a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.